Um, take out your outline on the back of your bulletin. I've called this message today the storm. The storm. It's, we're in a series called Eyewitness News. We are exegetically walking through the book of Mark in an expository fashion, verse by verse, thought by thought, and we're going to be in that book throughout the year. So um, you can read ahead if you like. But I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a bad storm, but it's scary. We have a picture of a storm that I'm going to have them put on the screen right now. I'm going to see if you remember. This is kind of a famous picture around here, especially northern Colorado. Does anybody remember this? Yeah, four years ago this past week, that was Windsor, and uh, they had that huge tornado that hit. And how many of you were personally impacted by that? Leave your hand up. Yeah, okay, look at that. A lot of you. So um, you understand how scary that can be and how serious it can be. And if you've been through a storm like this, a physical storm, it can really wipe you out. Today, we're going to see two things. And I want you to mentally prepare for this because we're going to read a story about a physical storm. The wind comes up, the waves get big, the boat could go down. That's one storm. But the biggest storm that I think happens in our text today is not that storm. The biggest story is the storm that was taking place emotionally in the disciples' lives. It's that storm that can wipe people out. Now keep that in mind as we walk through this, and I'll bear that out as we go. The first thing in your outline that I want you to write down is this, the decision to cross over to the other side of the lake. It was a pretty big decision that the Lord made to get in a boat and to go to the other side. And I want to talk about that a little bit. In Mark chapter 4, if you have your Bible, you can just leave it laid open there. It says this in verse 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat. They started out leaving the crowds behind. And then notice the parentheses. Although other boats followed. So what I, what I see here is kind of a frenzy moment where Jesus is exhausted, as you'll see in a minute, because he actually falls asleep in the back of this boat. He's really tired. He's been ministering. If you've been in, with us in our series, people have been healed. There have been crowds. He's been teaching from a boat and the lake. There's probably thousands of people who are trying to get a piece of him. And he's exhausted. And I believe he just says, let's go to the other side. He kept moving. Jesus kept moving. He wanted to share the story of life with as many people as he could. So they get in this boat. The people who have a boat are untying from the dock. They're trying to follow him because he's done miracle after miracle. They want to follow his life. And so this, they get out there in the middle of this, the, the Sea of Galilee. It's, the Sea of Galilee is the largest freshwater lake in all of Israel. It's approximately 33 miles in uh, circumference. It's about 13 miles long, about 8 miles wide. So you can imagine the, the deepest point of the Sea of Galilee is 141 feet, I believe it is. And so it's not a super deep lake, but it's deep enough to be able to get some pretty serious waves. This lake is 693 feet below sea level, which is interesting. Matter of fact, it's the lowest freshwater lake in the world. It's kind of fascinating. And uh, it has some, some uh, kind of some springs that flow up in it that, that bring some water to it. But its biggest water source is the Jordan River. You hear a lot about the Jordan River. It flowed in from the north and out from the south. That's what kept the Sea of Galilee uh, 
the size of water that it was. Now, Jesus was fully God. How many of you know that? Born of a virgin. He's fully God. He's also fully man. He was tempted like we are. He was hungry like we are. He was physically tired like we are. We see from Scripture that he wept. We see he had emotion. There's a ton of stuff that is so human about Jesus. He put skin on. But he's also fully God. My question is, why doesn't God sometimes give us a heads up when we're about to face a storm? Because the deity of Jesus would have been fully capable of sitting down the disciples when they got in the boat and saying, look, guys, in just a little while, I'm exhausted. I'm going to lay down. And I'm sure they get a nice pillow and blankets for him. He laid down and he's out. But why didn't he say, there's going to be a wind that's going to come on the lake, and it's going to be blowing really hard, and the waves are going to get big. I want you to wake me up at that point. Then they wouldn't have had to worry. They wouldn't have had to fret. Don't you wish somehow God could just knock on your heart? And I know sometimes he does. He prepares us for storms. But storms usually surprise us. The diagnosis from the doctor usually catches us off guard. The surprise with our kids or a spouse or a loved one or a friend, it usually catches us in a way that we go, what? That's a storm. That's why we call it a storm. And it comes and it it invades our lives. And we say, God, you could have told me. You could have warned me. But that's why we are people of faith. Is because when storms come, we are called by God to trust him regardless of the circumstances in our life. No matter what we are going through, that's easier said than done. Let's keep moving. Number two, every decision involves risk. Every decision you make in your life has a risk-reward component in it. And we're about to see that crossing over put a big risk on the disciples. Verse 37, but soon a fierce storm came up. I love the King James Version says a squall. I don't even know what a squall is. It's high wind. It's a surprise. It's just this moment. High waves were breaking into the boat. This is scary. And it began to fill with water. If you, anybody been in a boat filling with water and you've got a bucket? Okay, I have. It's scary. Even if it was a canoe and it was only three feet deep, I was scared. Okay? So <laughs> these are scary moments. When, when you're at risk and there's water in a boat involved, it, it makes you think. I had a really scary time in my life. When I was 16 years old, I had the privilege of one summer going out to North Carolina on the coast and working on a fishing boat that was five crew. It was about 100 feet long, and we would go out 300 miles out into the Atlantic and, and net for scallops on the bottom of the ocean floor. And we would stay out there seven to ten days at a time. And it was really scary. It was fascinating. But they would drop these nets, and they would drag them for two hours, and they would bring them up, and they would drop everything from both sides of the nets on the decks of these boats. And me and these other guys would go through everything they dropped. Now, do you know how many weird things are in the ocean? And I mean, it was just everything, including sharks. And we had to learn how to handle these crazy fish with these big spiky teeth, and don't touch that one, it's poisonous, and we had gloves, and it was scary. And uh, I can still remember when we had a storm, and we tried to outrun the storm, and uh, it started raining, and it was like a hurricane, and the waves were getting bigger. I thought, we're going to shut the fishing down, but no, no. They tied us on deck. 
So I've got a rope over here and a rope over here and a rope up here so I won't go overboard because you have these big yellow rubber suits and they say, if you go over, we won't even stop. Your suit will fill with water and you'll go to the bottom. We'll scoop you up on the next round. You know, I don't know. It was scary. I'm 16. I'm scared to death. Finally, it got so bad we had to turn and face the storm and get the bow of the boat where it was supposed to be. We stopped fishing, pulled all the riggers up, and I was petrified. I was in the bottom of this boat. I was tearful. I was praying. Oh, dear God, please help me. How many of you know it's good to pray when you're scared? I was praying. I was close to Jesus. I thought I was coming home. I'll never forget going up to that captain. The rest of the crew was up in the in the compartment of the boat where they were navigating and driving the boat. Big waves. I have a picture at home of a wave. I opened a porthole in my little bunk room and took a picture of a wave slapping right over the side of our boat. Scary stuff. And uh, we're 300 miles out. So I, I walked up to the captain. He saw tears in my eyes. I was scared. And I said, Captain, are we like, is this it? I mean, are we okay? I'll never forget that moment. He saw my eyes water. He saw how scared I was. He put his big old, he was a big man. He put his arm around me and pulled me close. And he said, son, I've been with Ironside. That was the name of the boat. I've been with Ironside in storms worse than this. We're going to be just fine. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Are you Jesus? I mean, I was so relieved. Just his word, just the fact that he had experienced it before. And what I want to say to some of you right now is that you're going through a storm maybe you have never experienced before and you're scared to death. You're anxious. You're worried. God is not surprised at your storm. God knows what to do. Draw close to him, and he will help you through this time. He's what you need. There is risk involved in every decision you make. If you're dating someone right now, you're taking a risk, right? If you chose marriage, you took a risk, a big risk. It's true. I mean, it's just true. we got to face it. You look at the stats. It's risky. You choose to have kids, good luck with that. <laughs> they're, they're wonderful, but there's a risk. You choose to drive a car, there's a risk. You, no matter what you choose. They went to the other side. And here's, here's my point in this, and we'll move on. Anytime we attempt to do something for the kingdom or obey God, there is risk involved. Don't be surprised when storms come into our lives. It's a natural part of our faith development. Expect them, and you won't be so surprised, even though we wouldn't choose them. Number three. Why do we often personalize our fear? Now, here's the part of the message that I think it could be the most important thing we talk about today. So please put full attention into, into grasping this and, and putting yourself in this story. I'm going to read the text, and I want to see if there's anything that strikes you as odd. Verse 38. Besides Jesus sleeping. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. They probably made a very secure uh, a bed for him, knowing he was exhausted. It started out calm, so he probably fell into a deep sleep, and they're about to wake him up. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? Is there anything odd about that to you? I understand it, but I want you to notice that they didn't say, Teacher, waves are coming over the side of the boat. 
Teacher, here's a bucket. Would you help us? They immediately personalized their fear and made an accusation against Jesus as though it was his fault. Don't you care that we are going to drown? It wasn't just a physical storm. This is where the second storm is birthed in the story. The first is the wind and the waves coming over the boat. The second is the way they internalized their view of God when God did not do what they had expected him to do. That's the inner storm, you guys, that I see taking people out in our world today. That's the stuff when you shake your fist at God and when you say, why do you hate me? Why don't you care? Are you just going to let me die? See, God can handle that, but it's not the best option because it shows the lack of faith that you have in God. As I, as I tore this story apart and really started to look at it, it's interesting that they immediately jumped to the you don't love me card. You know, if, if, I, if Bonnie said to me, you don't really love me, I could say, well, honey, I do. I just, I forgot to take out the trash, but it's not because I don't love you. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. No, she would never do that. But it's a silly example of how we sometimes attach values and behaviors to love. If you loved me, you would do this. They couldn't understand why Jesus is in the boat asleep and they're about to drown. They panic. They worry. That's what fear does. It paralyzes us. It polarizes us from being able to react and respond in a godly, faithful way. That's what storms do. Now, it is true that from what I can see in Scripture, it's the first nature miracle. Water to wine was kind of a nature miracle in the fermenting process, but this is the first time the disciples actually saw Jesus, like, say, peace be still, and the wind stopped. Now, that's impressive, right? So I guarantee you, this wasn't the only time they've been in a storm. These are professional fishermen, some of them on the boat. But they've never seen someone speak to the wind and have it happen. You know, the next time they probably got in a boat and a storm came up, <laughs> Peter's like probably looking at the disciples going, don't worry, it's all good. He's right here. We know what he can do. We've seen him in action. But they haven't seen him in action so far. They don't know that at his words, nature will obey him. You do not know the power of God. You and I do not fully comprehend that he is the creator of the universe and he rules over nature. Doesn't mean I always understand why things happen, because I don't. But I know he is God and I'm not, and I trust him. Um, number four, circumstances beyond our control, when you hit the bottom, it causes us to become totally reliant on God. You ever heard the phrase, uncle? <laughs> what does that mean? It means I've had enough. You know, no moss, no more. I can't, I, I can't take any more. I'm done with this. And there's just this point in which when we're into something so deep that we know we can't do anything about it, we usually try the God factor, which is a good thing, by the way. Don't feel bad. Verse 39, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the water, silence or peace, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was great calm. Just like that, everything changed. Just like that, all the circumstances were different. Can you imagine this moment? I just, I just can't imagine what the disciples must have felt 
when the wind just stopped. I, I walked outside yesterday on our back patio with all that wind, and I just said, peace, be still. <laughs> and Bonnie laughed at me, and nothing changed. And uh, she said, I don't think you're God. No, that didn't happen. I'm just making that up. But I wanted to because I don't like the wind very much. But Jesus says it, and it stops. You guys, it's really important for us to understand that when we go through storms and we don't see any fruit, any good of what can come out of it, we have a God living and walking with us that can handle the storm and can help us and find a way out that we would have never thought of or a way through. I think of the other boats in the water. Remember when we read earlier that other boats went and tried to follow him? Do you think they were impacted by the storm? You bet they were. No question. They benefited from this miracle as well. And sometimes our lives, when we walk with a God who says, peace be still, has a ripple effect of peace. And we don't worry, others around us won't worry. That's the power of your testimony. That's why I've watched people stand at the grave of a loved one and they've heard the voice of God say, peace be still. It's why I watch some of you navigate when the doctor's diagnosis is not so great and you hear the voice of God say, peace be still. Why can we do that? We can do that because we are anchored deep in faith for the glory of God. I want that in my life. I want you to have that in your life. Number five, what can we learn from difficult questions? Now the story takes another little twist because Jesus doesn't really answer their question. Don't you love us? You know, we're gonna drown, all of that. It's, it's, he fires off after the, he calms the, ocean, the Sea of Galilee, he fires off a question, verse 40. Then he asked them, and this is pretty brutal in some ways. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? That actually implies that they haven't had faith. Do you still have no faith? You've seen miracles. You've journeyed with me for days now, weeks now. Do you still have no faith? You know what he's saying? He's saying, after everything you have seen, do you still not comprehend who I am? Do you still not know it? You guys, this could be us. I've walked with God most all of my life. And there are still storms that I go through in my life and I wonder where God is and I doubt and I question and I feel dumb for doing it because I, I know God can. I just wonder if he will. And, there, and Jesus is just saying, do you still have no faith? Why are you afraid? You don't have to walk in anxiety and fear when you have God living inside of you. You really don't. You say, well, you don't understand my circumstance. No, but I understand God. And with him, you can walk through the storm that you're facing, even if you would never choose it. I, I started just looking, doing a little research about the questions Jesus asked. Do you know he asked more questions than he did give answers? Just in the Gospels, which record his story, different topics, not repeats, there's over a hundred questions that Jesus asked people in dialogue and discussions and when he told parables. And the way he answered their questions was usually with a question. I won't read them all, but let me just read a few. Think if you can think of the story that goes with this question. This is all Jesus saying this to different groups. Can any of you by worrying add a single moment to your lifespan? 
Why are you anxious about clothing? Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye yet fail to perceive the wooden beam in your own? Why are you terrified? Why do you harbor evil thoughts? Do you believe I can do this? Why do you doubt? But who do you say that I am? What profit would there be for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What do you want me to do for you? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Remember that one in the Garden of Gethsemane? That was a question that he asked. Why are you thinking such things in your heart? Why does this generation seek a sign? What are you thinking in your hearts? Where is your faith? What are you looking for? Do you want to be well? Do you realize what I have done for you? He's constantly, that's only about 20 out of 100 questions in these Gospels. What question is he asking of me today? To stir my faith. Number, number six, and finally here. There will always be mystery with God. This, this story wraps up with this kind of phenomenal statement that Mark makes in writing this. Verse 41, it says, The disciples were absolutely terrified. And that word doesn't mean like healthy fear. Like healthy fear is good. It'll keep you from stepping out in front of a truck on the road. That's good fear, right? This means I was in awe, I gasped, I was sit back, I couldn't speak, I was terrified. It consumed me. And they said, who is this man, they ask each other, even the wind and the waves obey him. You guys, no matter how much we think we know about God, there's always more. There's always more. I've put some observations down here that I want to wrap up with, and I'm going to do these pretty quick. So jot them down, but I want you to think about how they impact your life in the, ter- in the sense of the storms that you know you're in right now or the storms that you will eventually face, because we all will. Number one observation is this. There will be storms in your life. Would you agree? There will be. And you just better know that. I don't know what tomorrow holds. It might shock me. It could be a storm. I don't know. But I want to be anchored in God to trust Him. Um, I want to be prepared for the next storm. Number two observation is keep Jesus in the boat. (laughs) Amen? Keep Him there. Travel with the Lord. Keep him there. Don't have to go find him when you hit the storm. Make sure that you daily. One of my greatest fears for people is when life is good. It's easy to just kind of get into that coast mode. And, and, and boy, you, the bills are paid. Health is good. Life is good. All is well. Maybe I don't really need God. It's a scary place. I want in those moments to be pressing hard into saying, God, how do you want to use this? How can you spend my life? How can I do more? Where are you now in my life? Let's not waste the good seasons. Keep Jesus. He's our greatest hope. Number three, trust and faith win over fear. Jesus immediately questioned the disciples, do you have no faith? Don't you understand I'm here? It's as, though, it's as though we become blind to the circumstantial storm and we become consumed with the confidence we have in God to walk through it. Number four, never lose the awe and wonder of God. No matter how much you love God, there's always that ability to have that wonder and that awe of who he is in your life because he loves you 
And he cares about the storm you're going through right now. Let's pray together. Join me. Lord, thank you for the fact that you are here with us. You are bigger than we can even imagine. We run to you, not away from you, even when we don't understand the storm. Lord, I ask you through your spirit to be the healer of broken hearts today in these rooms, to be a God who comes close and knocks on the door of our heart, our mind, that we would understand you are closer to us than we know. With heads bowed, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to a couple things in light of this text, this passage today. The first one is just as a brother or sister, as a family, you know, the church, the bride of Christ. If you're in a storm, we want to pray for you because we've all been in storms. And if you're in one right now, don't hesitate to hold up your hand because we've all been there. But I, if you're in a storm, just hold up your hand, please. Okay. Church, let's pray earnestly for these. We've all been there. Lord, we love our brothers and sisters. We pray over them now for peace of mind, for clarity, for faith to grow. And I ask you, Lord, to let them deal with this circumstantial storm without creating a second storm of emotional trauma that questions you, your love, your grace, your mercy. Help them to run up into the lap of God and to trust you fully, to hold on to your leadership, your guidance, your words. We trust you today. Let faith, let the faith muscle in our spirit, man, grow through this storm. I pray, Lord, for these. Secondly, this is a little more personal, but I feel prompted to ask the question. Some of you are mad at God. Some of you have actually done kind of what the disciples did, which shows that, you know, it can happen to anybody. Don't you love me? Where are you? How come you don't care? And it's, it can be anger at God for what he didn't do or what he did or it's not what you hoped or thought. and It's, disillu it's disillusioned you. Can I pray over you? Just be honest. How many of you are kind of frustrated at God right now because of a storm you're in? Hold up your hand, please. It's okay. Okay. Lord, thank you for that honesty. You love that. I just ask you right now to show and deposit in these hearts that you are not afraid of hard questions. You didn't come to rebuke us. You came to heal us and restore us. So let us receive today that understanding that you do, in fact, have a plan in the middle of this hardship, this struggle. And though we don't understand and though it causes us to become hardened if we're not careful, I pray for a tenderness again to grow in these hearts, a brokenness to run toward you today, to trust you. Take away that anger, that hurt, that frustration. And show us that you are a God in the boat who can say, peace, be still in the midst of this storm. I thank you for it, Lord. Lastly, I just pray for some of you who don't know Christ. You're not connected. He's asking you the question today, will you follow me? Will you yield? Will you surrender your life on this day to become truly a follower? To put me in the boat of your life? To seek me? If that's you and this is your day, you might be here as a guest from another state. I don't know. But if God's prompting you, if the Spirit is knocking on your heart and you know you're separated from God, what a great weekend for you to say yes to Him, just to surrender your will to God. We do this every service and we love it when people respond. If you are here today separated from God because of your own sin, 
but you're going to trust God for forgiveness and healing in your life. Would you lift your hand to him, not to me? Just lift it right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I won't embarrass you. Okay, you can put it back down. Others? Okay, anyone else? You can put it back down. It's the prompting of the Spirit in your life. Just say this prayer right where you sit. Lord, I come to you and I ask for forgiveness of my own sin. Thank you for calling my name today. I do trust you. I offer you my life. I offer you my future. I believe you died on that cross for my own sin and you rose from the dead. Help me to forgive myself and to be strong and to move forward as your child. I trust you fully with the future storms of my life. I give you my life and my future. Lord, thank you for this time that we've been able to have clarity about the storms of life. Thank you for this story. May it be deposited deep in us as we face storms and as we trust you, our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord, so much that you are the Lord over nature. You are the Lord over disease. You are the Lord over our physical beings. You are the Lord over our personal, spiritual restoration, our healing, our families. Lord, thank you for that truth today that we can trust you, that your love is unfailing, that your work, though we don't always understand it, we don't always understand the timing, it is perfect, and we will trust you in the storm. I thank you. Be, be blessed today by our love for you, our worship, our allegiance to you. And thank you for being in the boat with us as we make decisions to go over to the other side. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer team, would you come now? If you want someone to pray with you about your storm or anything else in your life, come on up. Otherwise, the service starts now. God bless you. Go make a difference.